The number one question that is sent in to us through the internet is, what about the inheritance of daughters? <laughs> so this is a popular subject, I know. <laughs> the beauty of it is that it, the whole of the law reveals God's design for humankind. Adam is not Adam until it includes the male and the female. The two become one. That's by God's design. And the two become mankind. As it's developed in the scriptures then, of course, the man cleaves to his wife. They have children. The family unit is of, of primary importance in the teaching of the Bible, both Testaments really. And so God doesn't leave any details out regarding how he will build his kingdom, his people, his nation in the sense of Israel and in the earthly sense, I guess, of the church the common expectation is man and woman, husband and wife, children who become a family, and procreation from there, thus to replenish the earth. And finally, the redeemed out from among those nations, those peoples, those tribes, tongues, kindred, are called up and caught out and separated finally those whom God has chosen to himself. They comprise the temporal kingdom and then of course from there the eternal kingdom. Now there are details to which God attends regarding the spiritual, physical, and emotional health of his people within those family units. One of those details is covered here in the first part of Numbers 27, and it just further reveals the love of God for his people, his care for each of us, and of course his overall design that we are the mighty nation, if you will, that he calls us out to be. So here there is developed an issue that must be addressed. The law talks about, you know, the eldest son gets more of an inheritance than the rest of them and it falls to him to sort of keep the family together and, and to attend to incidental um, Expenses and affairs because he receives the larger portion of the inheritance. Talks about the sons receiving the inheritance. And then when they're, they're about to go into the land here, and the land is to be divided, the land of Canaan, uh, into the 12 tribes. The tribes will be subdivided into the families. And the families will receive their inheritance, their part 
of the nation, of the land, really forever, the way it reads in the Old Testament. If something terrible happens and they, they give up their, their birthright, their land, God provides for the, the year of Jubilee when it's all restored back to where it was supposed to be in the first place. Now, with all of that in mind, here's an interesting situation that is brought before Moses. The daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came forward. And his daughter's names were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. So you wonder why they never got married. Well, there was Tarzan and Milky and Hog and Noah, you know. They stood before Moses and before Eliezer, the priest, and before the chieftains and the entire congregation at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, saying, our father died in the desert, but he was not in the assembly that banded together against Yahweh in Korah's assembly, those people were swallowed up, remember, by the earth. But he died for his own sin and he had no sons. It's a, a beautiful recognition of the truth. God judged that generation for their sin. And they acknowledged that he was part of the congregation who would not go into the land, they were afraid. She said, so you passed judgment, you did rightfully so, but so did the rest of the people who didn't participate in that rebellion. And those people have sons and they're already figuring out how they're going to divvy up the land when we cross the Jordan River. Our father, though, yes, he died for his own sin, but not in the rebellion. And he died with no sons, only us daughters. Why should our father's name be eliminated from his family? Because he had no son. Give us a portion along with our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before Yahweh. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Zelophehad's daughters speak justly. They have a legitimate issue. You shall certainly give them a portion of inheritance along with their father's brothers, and you shall transfer their father's inheritance to them. Now, let me say this. You see in verse 8, verse 8 says, speak to the sons of Israel. Ben Yisrael, that's sons of Israel. Most translations, most modern translations would say the children of Israel. Maybe that's what your translation says. That is not the literal translation. The literal translation is the sons of Israel. Sometimes it says the assembly or the congregation, which is a, is a general address to the whole people. But specifically when specific things are made, the instructions are that Moses, for example, is to speak to the sons of Israel. B'nai Yisrael, that's, that's the language, that's how it is. 
So the assumption is that the inheritance of the father goes through the sons, as we we mentioned earlier. And the general assumption is that in the nation of Israel, within a family, there will be a son or two sons or many sons, whatever. And as I said earlier, the oldest son who gets the biggest portion of inheritance, of course, is to see to it that all of his siblings are taken care of. Now, there, in that case, there may be, he may have sisters who have never married, but he has an additional inheritance so that he has the resources necessary to tend to them because they're part of their father's family. But this particular issue has never been addressed. What if it's only daughters and there are no sons? We are about to go across the Jordan River and us girls here representing our father's household are not going to be treated like everybody else who's going to get their pieces and parcels of land just like this all across the land. We're not going to have anything. So what's going to happen to us? What about our father's portion? He didn't participate in the rebellion that would have disqualified him from what he was to have. He participated in the same sin of, of, of uh, speaking against going across the Jordan back and he died with the generation in those 40 years but still all of them have a a portion now he's gone and we're just his daughters and we don't there's not a son Yahweh agrees with them Yahweh says you shall certainly give them a portion of inheritance along with their father's brothers and you shall transfer their father's inheritance to them Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, to his brothers. If he has no brothers, to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give over his inheritance to the kinsman closest to him in his family, who shall inherit it. This shall remain a decreed statute as Yahweh commanded Moses. So an issue that in the due course of time would certainly come up has now been covered through the compassionate God of Israel, Yahweh. Indeed, they had a legitimate issue that needed to be addressed and Yahweh justly addressed it. And he addressed it as far as it could be addressed. If you get past a certain level, then just whoever's the nearest kinsman, that person gets it. The the right of inheritance and and then the right of redeeming an inheritance, a kinsman redeemer, all of those things are talked about uh, in portions of the Old Testament as it moves beyond the law. Um, Book of Ruth, for example. Uh, kinsman to redeemer, those who are the closest to be able to redeem. Those you had to find out who was the closer of the of the uh, relatives, the father's relatives, and then determine who could inherit what and so forth. 
That even, that even because it's in the book of Ruth and it, it has to do with the lineage of David and then finally the lineage of Jesus of Nazareth, then it has to do with Jesus himself. Uh, the, the law of kinsmanship and inheritance and kinsman redemption. So this remains a decreed statute as Yahweh had commanded Moses. No man shall lose his inheritance in the land just because he has no sons. That is therefore taken care of. And the nation in its building blocks and in its culture is thus even strengthened even more because Yahweh has made this decree. But now you remember, Moses is not going to make it to Canaan. He has to die. Aaron has already died. And Miriam has already died. Most, matter of fact, practically all of that generation is dead. Moses makes it to 120. Still a man of strength and vigor, and yet the judgment of God is upon him. And Moses is concerned for the leadership, the pastoral leadership of the people. Once Yahweh brings the judgment of his death upon him. Now there's more said about Moses going up to the mountain to die and, and his body and all that stuff. That's in the book of Deuteronomy. We get to there someday. A little bit of it is said and addressed here. Moses has to die. He can't lead them across the river. This is going to be, I mean, leading them out of Egypt was an overwhelming and profound task. And if you believe what Josephus writes about Moses, then you can certainly see that not in addition, of course, to the spiritual development of Moses out in the time, his time with the Midianites and so forth, his development in the household of Pharaoh really equipped him personally uh, to be a tremendous and strong leader of, of great uh, masses of people. Because according to Josephus, that's what he did. He was the commander of the armies, the greatest military on planet earth, Egypt, the Egyptian armies. And he knew how to organize them. He grew up learning all of these things. And the book of Hebrews talks about how he he, he learned his education was in the household of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, of course, would have as well sent him uh, to military command school. And he, according to Josephus, uh, showed himself to be very capable of, of leading the, the massive troops out of Egypt and to carry on a campaign. And he had to carefully attend to the logistics so that the supply chain... Uh, wouldn't be broken and that his soldiers were cared for and, and fed and that wherever they would camp, uh, he would know the land and he would know how they would encamp and what kind of uh, equipment they would need, not only to fight the battle, but to be sustained physically uh, in, in feeding them, 
and giving them the best that they could have so that they could travel in the, in the best way that they could that would do the least harm to their bodies, the least wear and tear, and then the best of the weapons that they could have, and then the organization of the militaries. As a matter of fact, it's pointed out that the children of Israel, you know, three, three, and three with, I mean, the way that it's done like this and, and the tabernacle and the Levites in the middle, they're organized just the way that the Egyptian military would have been organized in a campaign marching against uh, a foe, an enemy somewhere. They would move together and uh, their movement was efficient as they went across difficult terrain and they knew exactly how they would engage the enemy uh, and obviously they were always successful. They, they won their campaigns. Moses, according to Josephus, was prepared in all of that. So Moses was able to organize the exodus and be aware of their needs logistically, although at times their needs obviously had to be divinely provided, which Moses was prepared for that too, the burning bush and so forth. Moses is a unique character in all of the Bible. Moses was, was called and uniquely qualified for, for one of the most significant actions of God's people in the Word of God. Nearly three million of them to move in the same direction in an organized fashion. Moses was their leader. Of course, he was in constant communication with Yahweh. He was an obedient servant of Yahweh, except for that time when he acted against Yahweh regarding the waters of Meribah, he and Aaron both. So he knows he's not going to make it all of the way into the land of Canaan. This is a concern to him. He knows that he knew how to lead three million people across a desert from point A to point B. He knew how to keep a cantankerous people together as much as possible because he was Yahweh's servant. And when necessary, Yahweh divinely intervened in his behalf. And he did it for Moses and no one else. And now Moses is facing death. These millions are still there. They have not yet crossed into the land of Canaan. And when they cross into the land of Canaan, how will they fight? These are unseen and unknown enemies. They have various strengths and strongholds. How strong is the enemy? What will we face? When we get there, how will the land be divided? How will Yahweh accomplish what he has brought us out of Egypt to accomplish? Naturally, Moses would be concerned about these things. And knowing the mind of Yahweh the way he did, he knew that he had to bring the issue to Yahweh so that, so that the issue could be settled and the transfer of, of authority could move smoothly 
and the people would understand. So then, <laughs> for the rest of Numbers 27, we read about Moses and his successor. Yahweh said to Moses, go up to this Mount Abarim and look at the land that I have given to the sons of Israel. And when you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. Because you disobeyed my command in the desert of Zin, when the congregation quarreled, when you were to sanctify me through the water before their eyes, these were the waters of dispute at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. In a moment of the flesh, God disqualified Moses from the completion of his leadership, thus to take the people into the land. He also stripped Moses of his reward to be able to go into that land. Moses was not even buried in the land of promise. He lost his place of leadership. He lost his reward. Because for all that Yahweh had done for him, he should have known better. And Yahweh just simply wouldn't let him off the hook because this was a serious breach. Yahweh had always stood by Moses. Yet there was this one time when Moses failed. It didn't cost him his eternal home in heaven for he is seen with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration discussing with Jesus the impending departure of Jesus in Jerusalem. But he could not enter into the land of Canaan. He would not be the one to lead the armies against the Canaanites and he would not be the one to dispense the land of promise to the people of God. Very matter-of-factly, Moses accepts and understands, but has this concern. Who's going to take his place? He was so unique. <laughs> Excuse me, there are people in the, there are characters in the Bible. Abraham is one of them. He's a unique character. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he has a unique place in the progression of the plan and purpose of God. And only Abraham could have done it. From there, of course, Moses, John the Baptist is one of them, prophesied in Isaiah, the voice crying in the, in the wilderness. He had, this, he had this one task, and that was to introduce the Christ of God to the people and thus prepare the way. That was his task. When his task was over, his work was done. The case of Moses... He has successfully led them victoriously to the edge of Canaan. His task is over. What he was called out and equipped to do, he has done. And so the Lord again reminds him of his loss of his reward 
because of his sin. The judgment was made way back there and the judgment carries. And so here it is. Moses spoke to Yahweh saying, let Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Isn't that beautiful? Yahweh, the God of all spirits, of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. There would be a man whose spirit would be in tune with the spirit of God because God made it so. Not through any particular uh, attribute or qualification of Joshua, but because God has prepared him, God called him, and now God has appointed him, and we will see here. Who will go forth before them and come before them? Who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of Yahweh will not be like sheep without a shepherd? Yahweh said to Moses, take for yourself Joshua, the son of Nun, a man of spirit. That should be a capital S, really. Really, it should be a man of spirit, a man in whom is my spirit. And you shall lay your hand upon him and you shall present him before Eleazar the priest and before the entire congregation and you shall command him in their presence. You shall bestow some of your majesty upon him so that all the congregation of the sons of Israel will take heed. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest and seek counsel from him through the judgment of the Urim, the Urim and the Thummim the way God expressed his will before Yahweh. By his word, they shall go, and by his word, they shall come, he and all Israel with him and the entire congregation. Moses did as Yahweh had commanded him, and he took Joshua, presented him before Eliezer the priest and before the entire congregation. He laid his hands upon him and commanded him in accordance with what Yahweh had spoken to Moses. Now there's more detail about this, how God puts on display visibly through his glory in the book of Deuteronomy to reveal to the people that Joshua will take the place of Moses so that there cannot be any bickering about it. It is God's choice. It's God's man. It's God's servant. And God provides significantly the visible proof so that no one can doubt that Joshua will take the place of Moses. So much to reflect upon the importance of obedience, especially as a leader, a servant of the Lord. The importance of every little thing that he says. We can look through this thing and say, okay, so Moses got mad. I would have too, you know, I'll. but it was different because, because of how God put Moses on display time after time and showed the people that Moses was his servant. Moses 
had the Spirit of God thus to have lived above that kind of fleshly response, and he failed that time. Disqualified then is the leader who would carry them across the river and lost the reward of being able to personally go with the people into the land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the promised land. In the law in the Old Testament, the people and the land can hardly ever be separated. The promises that God had made for the greatness of Moses, yet he could not cross the Jordan into Canaan with the people. And God chose his successor. The people finally, the person, the servant, the whatever, he finally will fail ultimately in his flesh because he dies. But the work has to continue. The work goes on. God sees to it. So it is today as it always has been. We'll pray there and we'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, Lord, we marvel at your ways. We pray, O oh Lord, that as you examine our lives, we will be found in the best way that we know how to be obedient to you. Forgive us where we failed you. Help us to walk the path that you've called us to walk and to serve you in the way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.